I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Girl, real talk. This whole, it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you, as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. We don't live in a society that really wants us to be well. So it's done a lot for us to not look at who we are. And, and everything is a distraction. And I just don't want to be distracted anymore. I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection Thin Places. And this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new. And the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. To keep everyone safe, these interviews were recorded remotely, usually on a cell phone in somebody's home. And so you might hear some sounds and signs of life, like a car backfiring, a dog walking through the room, usually my dog walking through the room. Thank you for your patience with that. A quick content warning. This conversation includes mention of abuse and incest. Faria Roisin is an Australian-Canadian writer and artist. Her first book of poetry, How to Cure a Ghost, was published in 2019. And her novel, Like a Bird, which Faria started writing when she was 12 years old, was published 18 years later in 2020 by Unnamed Press. Faria writes often about trauma and healing, particularly from her own vantage as a South Asian Muslim woman and survivor of abuse and assault. I got to chat with her about a roving spectrum of topics, from her discovery of ayahuasca to the political obligations of the artist, learning not to care so much about how her writing is perceived by the publishing world, and her own journey toward healing. Hope you enjoy. Do you know um, Joanna Macy? She's like an environmental writer. Um, so she um, has this quote that I'm going to read to you. That's the, the quote. I'm writing my fourth book right now on the wellness industrial complex. And this Joanna Macy quote, I think is very thresholds might like also kind of, I guess what I'm working through right now, but she says, we can sense that we are in a space without a map that we're on shifting ground where old habits and old scenarios, all previous expectations, all familiar features no longer apply. It's like we're unmoored, cast loose, 
In Tibetan Buddhism, such a place or gap between known worlds is called a bardo. It's kind of frightening. It's also a place for potential transformation. Um, and I've been existing in that place for a long time. I think of myself as a writer in that sort of precipice, in that um, in that merge of many different worlds. And um, I love the word syncretic for that reason. Um, it's 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 like, yeah, a merge of many different things. And so I feel like, um, I, oh yeah, I always exist in that space. And in the last year, especially being, um, well, obviously in a pandemic, but also processing a lot of grief, a lot of trauma, um, you know, like I've, a lot of things have been clarified to me in the last two years about my childhood. And in particular, um, that I'm an incest survivor and I never had that articulation before. I, I never knew many different things about my life. And when I turned 29, I was in Australia. It's, it's, it was like so epic because I, um, <laughs> had just come out of this long-term relationship with my partner whose movie just got nominated for best picture. There's like all of these worlds that I feel like I'm leaving and, and, and like clearing. And that is like such a significant, it feels like I've like kind of just, shifted into a different plane like him and I have shifted into different planes and like it's it's and and then like when we were shifting in different planes just like after our relationship I went to Australia to visit my mom and I was on my childhood bed and all of a sudden I started to question like why am I so sad it didn't make any sense to me I carry a lot of sadness and a lot of just darkness, I think as well. And it's, I'm also an incredibly light person. So that's where like the, this like convergence comes in again. I'm like, so a mixture of both and always like arriving and leaving at the same time. And yeah, just on my childhood bed and all of a sudden having this moment of clarity of realizing that I was sexually abused throughout my life and I had never, um, I had never, I knew I couldn't survive if I remembered. So I forgot. And the human mm. mind is just so remarkable in that way because I, I also remember as a teenager being like, learning what repressed memories was and just like being so fascinated by the concept and like rolling it around in my tongue being like what repressed memories just being like putting just like saying it out loud as much as I could because something about it felt so eerie and mm -hmm. yeah I just I feel like that's where I'm still sort of like always coming um arriving and leaving at the same time, I think is like how I feel about my life and like this 
recognition of self has really led me to like a lot of the writing that I've been doing currently. So a lot of just like the healing and the, and the work it's, it's been intense. It's been an intense couple of years. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds really hard. (laughs) Um, and I mean, I'm also curious to know how you, because you write so much both about trauma and violence and abuse, but also about strength and healing and surviving and transformation of the self in the face of, of maybe what, maybe I'll borrow your word, darkness. Um, and when you were home in Australia and first having this realization, how did you, how did you begin to navigate the path that was then set in front of you? Yeah. Wow. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, (laughs) you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but it feels also like, you know, I've read, I read your newsletter and it feels like, um, you write with the elegance of somebody who's done a lot, who's, who's somewhere in the, somewhere on that path and not at the beginning of the path, but what you're describing is sort of the moment of realizing you're at the beginning of a new path. And I'm wondering, um, how you started. Oof, yeah. I mean, it's a great question and I, I'm honored to, to talk to you about it. I, I, I think what happened was I, uh, like, it's, <laughs> I'm a very spiritual person, but that's never been something that I necessarily would call myself for many years. I was really ashamed of it because I was raised Muslim and I, you know, I think Muslims, or I'll just speak for myself, I carried a lot of Islamophobia, internalized Islamophobia, not even towards like the faith, because I I was raised in such a, it's so fascinating. Like I had like all of this abuse happening and my mother is very mentally ill. So it was like, it was like a life of just extreme violence. And then I had like this remarkable father who was really well read and really like had brilliant politics and, and, you know, was just teaching me about capitalism as a child. You know, I, 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 I had so much, um, teaching from him. So like he was, you know, introducing me a lot, uh, to the Islamic Renaissance and like what is known to be as golden age of Islam. And I think I garnered so much, um, just resilience and in truth, like representation from like this golden age of Islam, because like people were, um, they were Renaissance people. They were poets and physicians and philosophers and, um, scientists and, and, and mathematicians. It just, but it it just excited me so much and I've never felt I've never felt uh seen in that I never as a kid I never had never felt seen in that way and that I think really allowed me to really understand God and really understand um my connection to God and really create um and strengthen something as a child and so even when like 
in my 20s, I felt very conflicted and very confused by um, sexuality in particular and just really uncomfortable by certain aspects of my being um, it, in, in relation to faith. And I, and I felt, yeah, just like really taken away from this root, this root and this foundation because I, I, I didn't know if these two parts of me were compatible. And then the more I, I think like a major spiritual trans- transformative point for me was really in 2015 um, when I had this just, it, it was a different time, but I, I it, that was like really the beginning of my healing journey where I, I realized I didn't want to die after a suicide attempt. And then I was like, okay, I, I got to heal. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, it was like pretty hokey to me too, but I, I also had like, I, I, I think I just had a instinctively just like a, a, an understanding of how to do these things because I was immersed in these worlds as a child, and because my sister is a very spiritual person and my father is as well, and so it was always philosophical. It was always really present, and I think in that next stage on on my childhood bed, really just it was following instinct and just going from there, like nothing was planned. I I came back to Australia and yeah, just things started happening. Like I watched the Michael Jackson documentary and I just, it blew my mind and further cemented how I was feeling and gave again, like language to my experience. And then in July, I had like a nervous breakdown and I couldn't work. And I, um, started, uh, like I just was drawn to, um, this person saying that they were going to go to this ayahuasca ceremony. And I just was like, I need to do that. And I trusted myself and I went and then that just opened a different portal. And yeah, I just, I think I, um, I just listen to myself and I'm not afraid of how that looks on the outside. Cause I, I imagine people are just like, what the fuck? But at the same time, I, I really don't care. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I never, I didn't come here to have a normal life. I didn't come here to like, you know, play by the rules. I came here to fucking learn myself. Sorry, I'm not allowed to swear. Like, no, you're totally allowed to swear. Oh, okay. swear it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I, I just, I just feel, I feel really lucky because it was sort of like in the moment of just realizing like in my twenties that like religion and, and who I am as a queer person, they are compatible. It was really a recognition of like, I can be whoever I want to be. I don't need to be determined by like what any, even what any dogma tells me, that's not why I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual because I'm trying to get to the essence of life. I'm trying to understand the divine in, um, like a very, um, free and liberated way outside of the confines of stricture. And so I think that's why I can, in times of crisis, I actually can be motivated by, the next move because I just follow where I'm taken and trust that that's where I need to go.
Um, and maybe there wasn't just one point, but how did you get to that um, like experience of integration and of freedom of saying, okay, I can be a person who's spiritual. I can be a person who's queer. I can be a person who is reconciling all these difficult experiences. I can be an art, you know, that freedom you're experiencing and of, of trusting yourself and, and the future was that, did you always have that? Or was there something, no, was there a no. moment when you thought like, okay, I, I understand that now, or I, I see that I can, I can, I can live that. I mean, I don't know if we ever fully get there. You know, that's the thing. It's like, I think capitalism makes you feel like you can learn everything in, in two minutes and then you're done and you're enlightened and it, it is what it is. And I, I think that the end, <laughs> that's not how we can live anymore. Like we're understanding, like I see all of these practices and, and this is very much like my fourth book. I am writing so much of it. Like it's necessary for us to start um, turning towards spiritual life because the alternative hasn't worked. And it's not only just because the alternative hasn't worked. We understand now looking at, um, the, 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 you know, the way that this planet is collapsing, you know, we are on the verge of collapse and that's more and more apparent every day, understanding then you have a responsibility to this earth. You have a responsibility to be, um, to evolve there's no time left anymore. Um, and I think that that has always just, even as a child, given me incredible resolve. I didn't, um, I, I just, I like lived through so much cruelty and I think I just downplayed that my entire life, but in a way it kind of saved me because I, humility is very easy for me. And I think on the path of being human, what we actually lack is humility. Um, especially as artists and writers, I think it's really easy to get convinced that um, because you have something to say that makes you better or, you know, superior. And actually, it's like, I think a lot of writers um, and the person that comes to mind to me is Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass, um, who was a Poetawami mm -hmm. elder. Um, you know, this is it's really necessary for us to, as artists, to, to remember that um, we're vessels for something. And we're, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because like, I, uh, I started getting really into like the Temple of Apollo. And I love like mythology and mythology has always just been my shit. So um, Temple of Apollo and like, um, I don't know if you, you know about the Oracle of Delphi. So it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if I'm fully getting it, but this is essentially what I understand. Like it was, um, this Oracle that was read by these women. Um, and the practice of that, I believe is called the Pythia. Um, and I just really love this idea of like channeling something and, um, oh, so the Pythia was the high, it was the name of the high priestess of the Oracle of the temple of Apollo. Um, and yeah, just this idea of like being a channel and trusting that I think comes with just constant, um, self-reflection and constant, um, awareness of 
remembering that it's a journey, remembering that it's um, in a world where all of us are destined to die. What can we offer to the generations to come? And how can we shift that towards something that is bigger and more evolved um, also because of just like the pressure that we are facing as a species, as a civilization, as a planet. Um, yeah, I, 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 I guess I just am always in, in that remembrance because of my like early early connection to God and early connection to a divine power and understanding that I've come here to do something for the betterment of people, not for the betterment of myself. And it is not about the self. It is really about how much you can give back if you have the voice. And if you, I, that's why I think art is political always because it's, it should be. And, um, it should always be for, for, yeah, for, for betterment, I guess. And I think I'd carry that with me at all times. And I don't know if that answers your question though. Like, I think it does. Now I'm, now I can, I liked that answer so much. I sort of forgot what my question was, which is good. So like, even if it didn't answer the question, it's fine. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about being attracted to ayahuasca and like mm. how that has become <laughs> a part of your story. <laughs> like what drew you to ayahuasca? Oh man. So yeah, like, whew. Firstly, just like really want to take a moment to um, just give thanks to this medicine. Um, I am, I feel very in service and uh, grateful to um, Grandmother Ayahuasca. And I, I have a very, fortunately, a very incredible teacher who has taught me and you know my the, my the community I sit with of just like the very important um the importance of remembering the indigenous lineages of these medicines and really respecting them in the way that our elders respect these plants um I think the problem with wellness there's many problems obviously with wellness but one of the things that I think really frustrates me is how much is taken and never contextualized. And in my own wellness practice of, of, you know, obviously being in communities where I am not of that community and learning certain practices, you know, it is our responsibility to, um, to really just like, sh you know, start, I think I was listening to, um, a podcast earlier today and um, with this indigenous Australian woman, um, I can't remember what tribe she was from, but she was just talking about how indigenous folks around the world are really the, the best um, uh, examples of how we can actually start moving towards um, an anti-capitalist way. And 
I think it, for me, ayahuasca and, um, sitting with this medicine really just again was super intuitive. I, it just came, it literally came out of nowhere where like I was, I was at this meeting with, um, an actor about possibly collaborating on a, on a screenplay. And she was like, I'm going to this ayahuasca ceremony next week. And I was just like, what the fuck I need to do this. And it was, yeah, it happened in 2019. And I, have a really great relationship with, um, cannabis now, but I, I, I didn't at the time, I think I was quite abusive of it, um, for many years. And, um, I was just like, I think hungry for a spiritual reckoning. I knew after what happened, what was revealed to me, um, with my mom, and with my childhood, I was just like, oh my God, there's so much here. And I've opened the door. And in the door, actually, I didn't even open the door. The door opened for me. But it was also mm. like an open sesame moment where I was just like, okay, I'm ready. Like everything had collapsed. Like this life that I had made with this person just completely collapsed. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'm starting from square one now. And when I, when I think that moment of just like complete, like, okay, internal collapse, but not in a way where it's like, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm now ready to, to actually confront what needs to be confronted. It was, that was like also necessary. Like you have to want to change your life. You have to want to know what is, what is like poking out from these dark recesses of your mind. Like why for me, it was really like signs that my body was giving me for a really long time. And so after a while, I was just like, you know, and things like eczema, for example, you know, like, again, the more I research this book and the more I understand like other methodologies like acupuncture, like Ayurveda, these indigenous knowledge systems that are like just downplayed as being woo-woo, but are coming from thousands of years of lineages that have like been specifically focusing on these on these energy systems, like we are so much more complicated as an ecosystem. And I think ayahuasca for me is really just another part of that. You know, she's the most um, significant psychedelic in the world. And there's a reason for that. And, um, you know, like it's, it's earth shattering information that she communicates to you. And I think, I was at the precipice of just like really wanting to throw myself into the fire. It was like really just like being like, okay, let me be cleansed by whatever I am to see. And then I think the way that my relationship has developed with her has been also acknowledging that this is not like a one, te- one step, two step, um, I'm cured situation. Like this is actually like a lifelong journey with this medicine. And she actually requires that from you. She, in order to gain the most that you can from her, she wants that respect. And this is a plant that like communicates with you. Um, These plants are just so incredible and it's remarkable and, and, and kind of like, it makes sense why all of this knowledge has been corrupted because um, you know, just understanding that like, we don't live in a society that really wants us to be well. So it's done a lot for us to not look at who we are and, and everything is a distraction. 
and I just don't want to be distracted anymore. How does, how is writing a part of that for you? Well, writing is where I synthesize everything because I, I mean, otherwise I'm just feeling everything and I don't, you know, it's not the, the act of putting it onto a page really then seals everything into place because I'm having to like reckon with my words, you know, because when I write, I'm not thinking, I'm just, I'm feeling and I'm putting it onto a page. Like that is, you know, I don't know in that sense, I feel really isolated from the writing world because I, I feel like I write in a way that's really antithetical to the ways that like, you know, commercial writing exists or like, you know, editorial writing exists. I, and yet like, I actually like existing in those spaces as well. Cause I feel like I'm such like, just my existence is just so confronting to a lot of people. <laughs> I think I'm just read as like this woo woo weirdo. And I kind of like, am embracing it finally. Like it used to make me feel really uncomfortable, like just to be distilled. Um, and I've really struggled with just like, you know, like feeling anti-intellectual because of what I write about and struggling with that and feeling really misunderstood. And I think finally, because of the ways in which truthfully, like people relate to my work and the readership that I've, I've been able to create and the, the, the kind of conversations that I have with people who read my work is truly, uh, it's mind blowing because it allows me to continue on. I don't know if I, I probably would still write if I wasn't getting these kinds of just small moments of recognition and even just like being able to talk to you, Jordan, I think it's, you know, I, I love your work. And so it's like, these moments are such you know, it's such a valuable thing to like be seen by someone and then to be seen by someone that you like and admire as well. It's just like, it's necessary. You know, these validations are, it's, I don't want to live in a world where like we, you know, obviously it's validation maybe is prioritized too much, but in a, in a holistic and spiritual way, it's actually really necessary, you know? And, um, for me, I, I felt ashamed by that for a really long time, but I actually, you know, each with each book that comes out the each moment of like having to be public and, um, yeah, to, to, to just like, to, to realize that I can't fuck around. Like I have, people that read me has then made me become hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant in a way that I really appreciate because it's, I'm a Capricorn. I like an, an incredibly like ambitious person, but I'm also a deeply spiritual person. So it's like those things kind of collide. And the fact that I can actually utilize these two loves and just then braid them together to create this like genre of work that is quite new and um I don't really know what I fit into and again that's like felt really isolating in the past but I think more and more the older I get as well and the the more grounded I become I realize that it's I've actually found this incredible way of 
being able to just be myself at all times and not have to compromise at all because I'm constantly speaking my truth. So writing is a really important facet of all of this for me. Yeah, I'm curious. Something that jumped out at me when you were talking was the anxiety about being seen as anti-intellectual because of what you write about. Mm-hmm. And I'm that I would love to hear you talk more about that because I often uh, have struggled myself when I'm writing about something that has to do with spirituality or something that has to do with healing or something that has to do with religion, even mm-hmm. um, of feeling concerned about feeling like a a wrestling in myself with my own sort of credulity and incredulity, but also particularly as a writer um, of like wanting to be seen as, I don't know, trustworthy to some imagined lay person and not like too um, bought in to whatever the, the like healing or religious or spiritual community is that I'm writing about. I'm just saying I relate to this concern about when you write about, <laughs> when you write about the spiritual of like f- feeling worried that you're not going to be taken seriously as a smart person if you are trying to engage earnestly and sincerely with some of these, even with some of the questions. And like, I would love to just like, as somebody else who worries about this too, like, how do you, um, how do you work through that? How do you think about that? Oh, I love this question. Thank you. I, well, firstly, like it took me a long time to be like, these standards were made by like cis hetero white men. Like, why am I trying to be a part of a canon that literally does not even understand me? Mm. Um, I think that that's like when I also like began to understand for me specifically that like, I couldn't play into the rules. Like, firstly, like, I hate rules. Don't tell me what to do. I don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> Perhaps, like, understanding that, firstly, like, I don't have to assimilate. You know, a lot of my life life unlearning is how to really step out of sight outside of how to step outside of the imposition of all of the gazes that have been applied onto me and I mean like in the most formative years of my life like the ways in which I was transgressed as a child but also then like expected to be a certain way because I'm a Muslim woman and then you know then having like just yeah like living in this world and like I I mean I'm an Australian I'm like a really I feel like Australians are weirdos like basically like you know we're we're like living at the end of the world and we live on a uninhabited like such a lush and incredible land that is been so unfettered by colonization but obviously completely demolished by colonization in 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 a lot of ways but it's just like such a unique land and and I feel like coming from there just like (laughs) it's explained so much about me um and yet like when I came to New York I I lost all of these dimensions of who I was because I was trying to fit in 
And I've done that in so many ways in my life. And I think accepting that I don't, again, like want to play into what the writing world wants of me and also what they've determined is successful because I don't make a lot of money, right? That's always the, the struggle with being a writer in a lot of ways, especially a writer that um, is doing things her own way. Like it's, it's incredibly challenging to feel like as much as I don't want these institutions um, to care, of course I do, because they are also, they determine success in a lot of ways too. So I'm, I think I'm always just like oscillating between these different viewpoints of just like being really righteous in terms of like what I want to write about um, now and accepting And that happened, I think, just through acceptance of the fact that I don't need somebody else to tell me that I'm smart. I don't need somebody else to tell me that I'm good enough. I can tell myself that. Again, like I think it's just like surrendering to the divine and just knowing that I will be taken where I need to be taken. And I have to just focus on the work and the quality of the work and ensure that I can really stand behind what I'm saying. What is it that you... Um, what is it that you want your writing to do? And has that changed since, since, cause you've been writing for a long time. Did it change after you went home to Sydney after this kind of like fa- falling apart, um, that happened when you were 29? Um, no, it's always been the same. It's always been like really just even when I was a film critic, I've spent many years being one. And even then I felt deeply invested in, which I still am because now I'm actually like writing these stories. I'm invested in representation. And this was at a time where there was no representation. Like I was, you know, being told that I was bringing race into it too much and that, you know, like I had to have an objective opinion which is the white opinion. And that is obviously incredibly soul destroying after a while because yeah, your opinions don't matter. Um, and so I, I, um, even back then I, I was really rooted in social change and I have, you know, and I started organizing as a 12 year old I was working for Oxfam and Amnesty um doing you know campaigning and and (laughs) like on weekends and at this you know city CBD and like you know I would get up at assembly I was one of the founders of the social justice group and would get up and like each week do a talk about like 
Bangladeshi garment workers or the next, you know, like this is just like the, the person that I am. And I think that that's just actually like really organically carried into my writing and my ethos around writing, um, which is really, again, it's, it's for the betterment of people. And I do not understand why I've been like this my entire life, but I mean, I think it's, it could be, and this is something I definitely began to understand about myself more after 29, but like understanding that, you know, as a child, I was so deeply unseen in such, you know, devastating moments of violence. And I think I'm like, maybe fighting for that girl, for that younger version of me. I guess the last thing that I wanted to ask is whether or not you feel like you've, you're approaching any different kind of threshold. You were saying at the very beginning, like you feel like you're constantly living in, living in thresholds and have, have always been. And I wonder if the thresholds themselves feel like they, they shift or are shifting for you in this like really unusual year. Yeah. I mean, thresholds, the, the thresholds of my life in the last couple of years have been like crashing waves. It's like one comes and then you're, you're through it and you're into the next cycle. And then another one, you, it's just constantly just, um, yeah, a thrashing of waves. And then, you know, really learning how to surf has been something that I've been thinking about, like psychologically learning how to surf and, um, I think that's where I'm at right now. Just, you know, accepting that these thresholds do exist and that um, I, at the end of last year, I got two spirals tattooed um, on my, one on my right arm and the other in my left arm and they're in different styles. But I just started in 2020, I, I got really attached to the spiral and this idea of um, nothing is good or bad, it just is. And everything exists, obviously, in this just sacred spiral of just constant equilibrium. And how, like, in a very, you know, I feel like this is something sort of cross spiritual like it's you know it's very much it's very buddhist and 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 mantra driven and and really like non-attachment driven but then it's also like i love this conceptualization of the whirling dervish and the the ways in which they move is like through a cyclical way of connecting in that spiral to god and that that's a communication that they have and yeah, I've just been trying to embrace that as much as possible. Like, you know, the word Muslim means to submit, submitter, surrenderer to the universe. And I, and I have just been trying to focus on that energy and, and focus on how like that energy has always been something that was so deeply rooted in my core and that I can return to that and I can return to this old self and know that maybe I had all the answers as a child, even though I didn't think I did and how I can honor that now and how life is a constant 
spiral and a continuum between like old and former selves and how we have so much um, beauty and, and how there's just so many gems embedded into our psyches and that I really hope that we move towards a society that is in remembrance of how much we already know, like trusting the body, trusting experience and, and moving towards a more, you know, trusting society of ourselves, like really beginning there and knowing that like, if you can really trust who you are, then you can trust others and trust that you're going to bring the people that need to be in your life into your life and how that is also a spiral like everything is just like yeah the the thresholds the the ways in which we all are are beginning and ending and how like that is the dance that is the grace just acknowledging and being in that at all times Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kistner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kistner. We'll see you next week.